Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Welcome back, wine friends, to part two with Sam Povey. Now, I absolutely loved recording this episode with Sam. The Languedoc-Roussillon region in the south of France is one of the biggest wine regions in the world. And Sam has been down to the Languedoc several times. So I asked him to share his experiences of some of the best places that either we need to go to, in his opinion, or wines that we must try. He just speaks at such ease about the wine regions. And the only thing I can say is that I am gutted that our time was running out and I could not pick his brain anymore because this is actually an incredibly exciting region. About rather complicated. So the vineyard surface area of the Languedoc is around 220,000 hectares. So this region, it was actually one of the first ever planted in France, and it was a really important wine growing region. However, it's been known more in the recent past for its cooperatives and sadly, for producing a lot of cheap plonk. But Now more than ever, these wine regions are investing in equipment, they are controlling the yields, bringing the quality up to that of the world stage. So it's definitely worth a dive into this area and an amazing place to visit. I mean, not only for the sunshine and those Mediterranean breezes, but for the 220 kilometers of coastline, the hikes and mountainous walks. Of course, you have the Pyrenees here. There's the ancient monuments and the historic cities like Carcassonne, as you'll hear me mention because I have the board game, (laughs) and Nîmes. So there's also four different winds hitting this area. So the Mistral, the Tramontana, the Autan wind and the Marine wind. And so with the sunshine and with all those breezes, this is a huge area for organics. But there's so much to discover with these regions because actually if you go more to the east side, this is the Mediterranean climate and you're going to find those Rhone grape varieties planted there. But if you go to the far west, climate has more of an effect from the Atlantic. So you're actually going to find some Bordeaux varieties planted here. A quick rundown of the grapes you are most likely to find in this region. So if you look at reds, we are talking Syrah, Grenache Noir and Mourvedre, also Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. And then for the whites, we are looking at Grenache Blanc, Picpou, Marsan, Roussin, Viognier, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blanc. Now, I think I've given the Languedoc a, a mini synopsis, but disclaimer. This episode is not touching on all of those wine regions, the sub-regions, I should say. Sam talks from his perspective. If you are quite new to discovering this region, where are a few of the places you should go to to start your Languedoc wine journey? 
Now, before we begin, a quick shout out, as always, to this season's sponsor, Wickham's Wine, who, as I mentioned in the last episode, they won Best Specialist Retailer for the South and Regional France with the Decanter Retailer Awards. So perfect timing for this episode. If you are inspired after you finish listening to Sam, you can try some of these wines. And if you use the code EATSLEEP10, you're going to get yourself 10% off your first order. I was literally just drinking this week a bottle of their La Loupe Grenache Blanc 2021. It's £10.80 a bottle, if I recall correctly, if you buy a mix six. And it was voluptuous, exotic, peachy and floral, a beautiful explosion. So that was super fun. And we had that with a roasted lemon and garlic herb chicken and it worked very, very nicely. So I think it's about time that we go to the episode with Sam so he can give us all of his specific wine advice. So pour yourself a glass of wine and enjoy. So now I want to take us, let us go down to the south of France, to the Languedoc region, which when I asked you what are some of the most interesting regions or ones you love to talk about, this came up on your list. And I haven't really talked about Languedoc because I don't even know where to start. Loads of appellations, lots of the AOCs, then a hell of a load of the IGPs. And there's a whole load of grapes down there. <laughs> it has a checkered history, but it's now got really good. But there's great value. There's a few incredibly priced, high priced wines now coming out of there. Like, hmm, right. <laughs> I think I introduced it in a very confusing way. How do you unconfuse us, Sam? <laughs> yes. I mean, look, you're right to say, I suppose the confusion around the Languedoc comes from its size. And this is an area, the Languedoc and the Roussillon put together account for 220,000 hectares of vines. Hectares, yeah. Which, to put that into perspective, makes that almost twice the size of Bordeaux, larger than all of the vineyards in Australia or, say, South Africa. It has the breadth of growing environments and terroir, I suppose we should say, because uh, we are in France after all, to, <laughs> to produce a similar diversity of, of sort of style as somewhere like South Africa, for instance, which does make it challenging to, to understand. And then in addition to that, we've got the fact that you have all of these, some of them relatively young appellations so smaller areas that are producing a particular kind of style and quality of, of wine. And so you kind of, to not you know, reveal behind the curtain, but you sort of sent me some list of questions beforehand. And one of them was, where do you think people should start? And it's a great question. I would really recommend two appellations in particular, just to give you a, a sort of a, a taster of the region with the asterisk that this is only a small part of what can be produced. And the first place is Fougère. Okay. Mm -hmm. In particular. So if you want to try get an idea of what Languedoc does in terms of red wines, Fougère is a great place to start. It is right in the middle of the Languedoc. So if you think about the Languedoc and then the Roussillon is kind of an L that you've mirrored and flipped on its side. You're starting in Marseille in the east and you go all the way west over to effectively that Carcassonne. And then you go down that shore bit of the L down past Perpignan and you're on the border with Spain. That's, that's the Languedoc. And if we're on that long bit of the L, Fougere is basically right in the middle. 
essentially. And then the other thing you need to do to understand the geography of Languedoc is the area on the coast is this large, flat, very Mediterranean, hot and sunny plain where you've got a lot of agriculture and specifically lots of viticulture. And this is where a lot of the slightly cheaper wines will be produced with some notable exceptions. And then if you go a bit further out, so you go further inland, all the way around that L is where you tend to find the better quality examples and where you tend to find a lot of these appellations. So Foger, inland on the middle bit of that long part of the L essentially. And it's about 10 kilometers across in size total in this appellation based around the, the village of Vaucher. And the whole appellation is on these really, really solid schist soils. So quite a lot of siblings there. So you've got basically a balcony. So it sits on this balcony that looks down over the coastal plain toward the Mediterranean on these schistous soils. And what that means is that during the day, it's very hot. You've got the sun coming down. It gets very, very warm. The soils warm up as well because you essentially have almost pure kind of rock, pure schist, which promotes loads and loads of ripeness in the grapes. And the wines themselves are blends. So the reds are going to be this, what has become a classic combination, Grenache, Syrah, uh, Mouved, and often a bit of Carignan as well. And you can get some other bits and pieces in there like Sanso, for instance. Yeah. But they're basically blends. And Grenache and Syrah are the two most important components of of those blends usually varies producer producer and in addition to these kind of schisty soils the ground is covered in what is called garrigue which is this kind of sort of scrubby set of sort of scrubby Bush, herbs herby smelling rosemary and juniper and mm. boxwood and it, you walk around the vineyard and you smell it you can absolutely smell it and so the wine that is produced from the combination of the sun and the heat, the schist soils, which really make the life of vines quite difficult. And then this garrigue is rich and powerful and intense, but also with a savory edge to it as well. They can be, they usually are slightly on the higher end of this sort of alcohol range. So 14% is sort of fairly kind of typical. But the use of the blends and the use of the Syrah and a little bit of the Grenache adds enough acidity to keep everything nicely, nicely balanced. So if you want to try your kind of one of the best examples of, of reds from the Languedoc, I would go to Fougere to start. And they not only also they have really low yields there, which is why yeah. they're so good. But I've also heard that a lot of the producers there are organic and biodynamic as well, which of course a lot of people are wanting to try more of. So I think, you know, that is, I completely agree with you that that's not a bad place to start. And it's one of the, so obviously you have these, these designations of things like organic production, which is used widely through the longer dock. And to be fair, in a place that is relatively dry, it's easier to be organic. Although lots of producers in decades previous were not. But Fougere is one of the, I think it was the first appellation in France to outlaw synthetic herbicides. Okay. Within okay. the appellation itself. So it doesn't matter, organic, not organic, you can't use these particular treatments in your vineyards if you want to call your wine Fougere full stop. That's really interesting. And I suppose as well, one thing I've also heard is, I mean, 
this whole region, the Languedoc, has this big history of cooperatives, which is not always a bad thing. There's some great cooperatives. But in this region, it's a lot more about the small guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so you can find some nice little treats. Yeah, you really, really can. The wines are not going to be cheap. So don't expect anything for £10. But if you spend 15, 15 quid in the Fougere, you're going to get a hell of a lot more wine than if you spent £15 in Bordeaux, for instance. That's my, you know, my firmly held belief. And then for whites, which are important, I would start with Pickpool, Pickpool de Pinay. Of course, the the lip smacker, the the muscadet of the south. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this is an area right on the coast, uh, not yes. actually that far from from Fougere, really. So we're we're going down from the balcony onto the plains and right to the coast, and you're looking out over these coastal lagoons where they've got all the oyster beds. And Pickle de Pinay is is one of the sort of earliest success stories in the Languedoc. I think one of the reasons for its success is its simplicity. It's the Picpoul de Pinay is made entirely from a grape called Picpoul. And they've done this lovely conjunctive labeling thing where, you know, it's 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 uh, Picpoul from, from Pinay, essentially. And you get a really affordable, fresh, easy drinking, but not at all thin or sour white wine. Agreed. People make a lot about the acidity and it's obviously called the lip, sort of the stung lips. It's not (laughs) actually as acidic as people sort of say it is. We're not talking about, you know, Riesling or something like Chablis. And I actually think most of the time that's not a bad thing at all. It has enough acidity to be fresh, but not so much that it can be a little bit sour. And particularly for someone who is not a wine geek, it's a lovely, lovely style of wine. It's very easy to drink and we love it in the UK. So it produces half of all of the Appalachian white wine in Languedoc. Fun fact. Okay. I think it exports, it makes up something like 80% of white wine exports from that Languedoc. That totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And it really makes sense for us in the UK because we take the majority of the exports. <laughs> Sorry, everyone around the world. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) The thing is like 56% of what is exported is is sent to to us in Britain. And so you do see it a lot. It's very distinctive. It's got that fluted bottle and the the Cathar cross. And I think they've done a fantastic job of of making it an easy to understand, easy to identify um, brand of wine, essentially. And cooperatives have been a big part of that as well. And a lot of people, as you kind of alluded to, they kind of oh, the cooperatives, that's part of what the old Languedoc was. But the reality is that the cooperative model is a fantastic way of producing good value for money wine that is a high quality if you are export orientated and, and you know that you're going to be sending it to a market that knows it's wine and won't drink it unless it's good quality. And uh, I think it's found a good partner in the UK there. Yeah, I love that. Well, where to next? You've said the a really good place for a red, really good place for a white. I mean, sparkling. <laughs> Absolutely. So if we go to the little corner of the L, so we're over near Carcassonne. And by the way, if you're sort of looking at how to kind of get into the Languedoc, flying to uh, Toulouse is a great way of doing so because it's a big hub and the flights are usually relatively cheap. And then you can you can drive to Carcassonne, I think, within about an hour or so. It doesn't take you very long. And can I just pause and say, I've never been. Have you been to Carcassonne? Yes. Yes, I have. I, it's amazing. I, I have the board game. <laughs> 
And ever since I got the board game where you see all these incredible medieval castles and bridges and everything, I'm like, and I've seen pictures of Carcassonne, like this is on my list. Nothing to do with wine in terms of this town, but it's amazing that you can pair a medieval village with a wine region, which is right next door, right? Yes. And I think if you if you were just to Google Languedoc wine, one of the first photos that pops up is the ramparts of the kind of medieval fortified city of Carcassonne with some vines just next to it. And it is it's one of those picture postcard images of wine that people assume all winery all wine regions look like and in reality very few actually do. I think my retirement plan is to open a wine bar in Carcassonne where you can also play Carcassonne. I mean, and, why and would you not do that? Wine from the region. I think that's that's the that's the retirement plan. Yeah. You may need to be quick though. I can't imagine that someone else hasn't <laughs> had that idea either cuz well, I mean, you know, when you I know, was there I was looking. When I was there I was looking. Okay. I was like surely surely so and as far as I can tell I can't see it. All right. So okay, good. Still a right. Gap in the market. Still in play that dream. <laughs> but if you want to go and explore some wine regions, I mean, Carcassonne is a great way to get into Corbiere, which is the largest appellation. And that's a very large area that kind of extends sort of roughly from Carcassonne down toward the Mediterranean. But in particular, if you drive sort of due south, southwest rather, from Carcassonne up into the foothills, not quite the foothills of the Pyrenees, but they're sort of into this slightly more mountainous area, you head into Limoux which is very different from the rest of the Languedoc because you have distinctly more altitude in this region. We're kind of going up toward 500 meters or so of altitude. It makes a big, big difference in a place that is as warm as the Languedoc is. And it is home to some absolutely incredible sparkling wine and some absolutely incredible white wine. It's a little region within a region because it has its own grape varieties. So for the sparkling wine, um, one of the most important grape varieties is Mozac, which you won't find really anywhere outside of Lemu itself. And then it's complemented by Chenin Blanc and Chardonnay. And these grapes, when put together, produce some absolutely incredible um, sparkling wines. And you can taste that in their Blanquette de Lemu, which absolutely. is a traditional method sparkling wine and it's well and there's the big argument did Limou create the very first ever traditional method sparkling wine well I mean probably not traditional method but the first ever sparkling wine yes as far as we know anyway the earliest recorded instance of sparkling wine ever being produced is from 1544 and it's from the Abbey de Saint-Hilaire so the Abbey of Saint-Hilaire which is in Limou and basically it's a purchase order from a local duke to the abbey asking for some flasks of Limoux and it's described as being as effervescent or sparkling essentially. Very interesting. Yeah, the history. You can go to the abbey and you can go to the, the sort of the wine cellar, although it feels a lot more like a cave, to be honest with you, to see where the, the first sparkling wine, as far as we know, was ever made. Almost certainly made by accident initially. And sort of Everything was made by accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although you can try a style that is a little bit more like that, because that in addition to Blanquette de Lemu, which is a traditional method sparkling wine made from Mozac, you can also try an ancestral, what they call ancestral method, which is essentially a pet nat. So single fermentation in a bottle, usually a little bit sweet, which is how those first sparkling wines would have been. And to be honest, you know, it's not a style that 
will ever be super popular, but it's quite versatile and, and you know, that's kind of thing that you want to have if you've got really, really spicy food or something that's a bit sweet. Gastronomic, yeah. Exactly. A little bit of extra sweetness can help with a bit of spice or round things out. Yeah, but you can, you can taste a bit of history. Precisely. And then, of course, you have Cremant de Lamoux, which is using yes. your Chardonnay and your Chenin Blanc and, I think, Pinot Noir, which is really interesting yeah. because some of the best Pinot Noir is coming from this Lamoux region, mm-hmm. but with their reds in that appellation, <laughs> they don't allow... <laughs> yes, I know. I know. It does seem like a weird choice. So you can right? get red Lemu, but yeah. it is a blend of Bordeaux varieties and sort of a South of France varieties. So Syrah, Grenache, Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, Cabernet Franc, I believe, maybe some Merlot as well. Uh, you know, these are these are long blend lists. And also a bit of Malbec as well, I think, is allowed in there. Uh, although I would have to double check. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it does seem strange. Who knows? That may change in the future. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the challenges of understanding the region because the system is, it can be a little bit complex. But producers like Domaine de Muscayou, for instance, make some absolutely stunning Pinot Noir. It isn't labeled as Lemu, but it is from Lemu, and I would highly recommend giving it a try. It's sort of a, a slightly riper take on what you might find in Burgundy, but for so much less money, and the quality is absolutely there. These are serious, age-worthy wines. So if you like that slightly riper style that you might find from places like California or South Africa, for instance, it's a good one to try that's just ever so slightly closer to home. And you do nice. see it from time to time. I mean, I think that the wines from that producer that I just mentioned, Muscayou, they, you know, they were they were on the Wine Society until fairly recently. So you do see them from time to time. And they're, you know, they're about sort of 16 or so pounds. And I, I would challenge you to find a better Pinot Noir for, for that money. Nice. Do they do any white or just they do. red? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So still white wine is also very important in the region. Because it's really interesting as well. The ruling in Lemu for the whites is the only appellation where the whites have to be oak aged. Yes. Nowhere else in the Languedoc has that ruling. I so I, I find it Lemu's really an interesting area, just with their rulings alone. You know, it's doing its own thing. And I think yeah. this is this is the case actually in, in all of the Languedoc is because they have spent the last 40 years focusing on quality and transforming the reputation of the region, they're figuring out what works. And Lemu, because it is sort of a relatively small area, they have made quite a strong push towards this particular style of white wine. Now, I should say it has to be oaked. There's no, it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily use new oak, for example. It could be in old oak barrels, whether that kind of character is going to be the sort of, it won't be nearly as sort of vanillary as you might expect. So don't worry if you hate oaky wines not all the moo white is oaky and there's a tendency to focus on a much more restrained style but the result is a wine that has this lovely texture roundness and complexity but with the altitude that you have it's still got amazing acidity so it's nice and fresh really well balanced uh, as well and again the best quality examples from the moo will not set you back more than about 15 or 16 pounds and, you know, that's not a cheap wine, but also to get the quality that you do find, it is fantastic value for money. It represents great value. 
Now, I want to literally pin you down. You have so much to say about this region, but I know that you're in a rush. Everyone, he's leaving us and abandoning us. But <laughs> so before I let you go, oh, this is outrageous. But before you do that, I know you've also been to Terrasse de Lussac, which is this really kind of cool upcoming region. I feel like that deserves a mention because most people might say, actually, I've never heard of that at all. So can I get you to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, if you're in Fauger, so you're on the balcony, so you're inland, and you're about midway along that long bit of the L, and you just go a little bit further east, you will plunge down into Terrasse de Larzac, which is... Plunge! Plunge, exactly. Plunge. Um, because it is at slightly lower, slightly lower altitude. It's a region that's only it received its appellation in 2014, so it's it's less than 10, 10 years old in terms of the appellation itself and the name, and that's why people will probably not recognize it immediately because it's still building its kind of reputation, but it is home to some of the region's most iconic producers. And the main reason for that is the House de Larzac. So these, this big limestone plateau that lives above the Appalachian. And what that does is it dumps a load of cold air into the vineyards at night. It cools things down and it increases that all-important diurnal range, which just slows down the ripening, helps those grapes retain acidity, and allows the producers to keep their grapes on the vine for longer and get that extra kind of concentration. So Terrasse de Larzac, you'll only see it appended really to, to red wines in practice. And again, it is a blend of grapes, usually Grenache, Syrah, potentially with a bit of Carignan and Sanso and Mouved added in there as well. But it's a region that produces some of the most elegant, age-worthy reds. So it, it's a region that I've been really privileged to, to visit in the past, and there are some absolutely fantastic producers. And a couple that I want to mention are Mas des Agrunel. And you see the word Mas, M-A-S, in this region because it's not chateau or domain, it's farm. So okay, Mas des Agrunel. Okay. Yeah, so you will see this in lots of places. So Masters Agronel and Mas Julien are probably two of the more iconic producers in this region. And they, they make extraordinary wines. They're not quite as big as Fougere, and that's not necessarily a bad thing at all. But the interesting thing as well is that there are other producers that have been here for quite a long time that have a reputation, but don't carry the name Terrasse de Larzac. And, and probably the most famous of this is Master Dalmas Gassac. Oh, and here, I, do you know what a beautiful place to end? I mean, this is cult status Absolutely. Right a winery that really only got going in the 1970s, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't follow the rules of the Appalachians because they mainly plant grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and their blends are mad. I think they have at least 15 different grape varieties all of these kind of experimental um, blends that they do, but the quality of the wine is beyond doubt. And it is ultimately a function of the Terrasse de Larzac and, and the place where they are and the fact that we have this amazing sort of diurnal range and all these moderating influences that other parts of the Languedoc, if you go a bit further south towards the coast, won't possess. So it, I'd highly, highly recommend checking them out. And again, if you find yourself in the region, get yourself to a village called Anyan. Anion, I think I'm saying that correctly. Okay. Which is a great base to explore the region from. 
it's close to the coast. There's loads of mountains, loads of hills, amazing places to walk and hike. And then, of course, enjoy some beach time, incredible wines of all different styles. We haven't even talked about the Van du Natural, the fortified sweet wines. It's actually got everything, hasn't it? It's a lifetime of tasting. And fortunately, I've, <laughs> I've got most of a lifetime left, hopefully. So yeah, I'm looking forward to, to continuing to explore the region. And, and there are new producers popping up all the time and people taking over all plots of vines from their parents. And those vines used to produce grapes that would go off to the cooperative and, and otherwise be completely anonymous. And it, so it's changing very quickly, whilst also being France's oldest wine region at the same time. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. And I think also for everybody, don't stress out too much about the wine regions. Just try and find a producer that you like or find something that somebody's written about online. Go to that producer because I think that's the point. There's so much variety, so much different terroir. So look for a producer and get to know them rather than necessarily feeling like you have to go to the one region. You know, Definitely. I think that's possibly a, a safer bit of advice. Sam, thank you so much. Oh my <laughs> You're God. very welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm going to force you at some point to be on again because, you know, because you're leaving us too quickly and you've got too much information. So that is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. And um, we'll speak again soon. Thank you very much. See you soon. Bye. Now, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I am gutted that I couldn't have kept Sam for another 15 minutes or an hour <laughs> to tell us more about the regions within the Languedoc. But I hope that it gives you a base or just some inspiration or a reminder to look out for some of these wines next time you are looking to add to your wine rack. Now, from memory, I don't think we touched on some of those appellations such as Pic Saint-Loup. This is a great region for Grenache, Syrah and Mourvedre blends. Another for these exact same regions to note down would be Le Clap. But also, although this region is mostly known for its reds, the biggest percentage is red, there are some very interesting white coming out of this area. And these are focused on the Borbelenk Blanc grape variety. So again, something else you might want to try. We didn't even touch on the Van de Naturals. These are naturally sweet fortified wines. They're made from either Muscat or Grenache. They are primarily found down in the Languedoc-Roussillon region, but you can also find some in the Southern Rhone Valley. However, lucky you guys, if you go back to episode 113, there is a dedicated episode to fortified wines of the world. And about 28 minutes in, I spend about 10 minutes going through the Van de Naturals if you want a full recap on all of these sweet fortified wines. But I promise you that we're going to return to this region for another episode at some point in the future, as there is so much to talk about. However, if perhaps you are still a little bit in doubt and you want some just good value wines, you may also want to look out for the Paydoc wines. Now, these are less strict and they cover the whole Languedoc-Roussillon region. They very often focus on single varietal wines and they can be labelled as such. And so this may also aid you in your buying decisions, especially if you're looking for easy drinking, fruit-friendly, wallet-friendly, reliable wine. Now, to finish off, I will quote a wine writer and publisher, Frederick Coop. Pell, if that's how you pronounce his name, he said, 
French wine has been made for over 2,000 years and there is something in the wine giving it the soul. Well, a rather poetic and subjective concept, but we all know with French wine, there is that deep history, the tradition, plenty of cultural significance. So I shall leave you to drink some more Languedoc wines and let me know if you can taste the soil, the climate, the terroir, its soul. Now, next week, I will be taking us across to the town of Val de Biadene and also Cornelliano, where some very heroic viticulture takes place on incredibly steep hills. I visited this region a few weeks ago and I want to share my thoughts, my advice to you all and an itinerary for you. As I promise, after you listen, you are going to want to book your flights there, seriously. And the wines, these are not the standard Prosecco wines you find on the supermarket shelf for seven, eight, nine pounds. This is Prosecco Superiore D-O-C-G. So very different. Next week, we'll be talking about the Rives, the Cartesi Hill, the Grand Cru site. These UNESCO hills awarded for not just the beauty, the mosaic of different nature and biodiversity, but its culture within humanity. But that is it for me today. Thank you to all of you guys for listening on every episode and feel free to get in touch with me by email yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk or on Instagram at eatsleep underscore wine repeat. And you know, if you are enjoying these podcasts, please don't forget to leave a rating on Spotify or a quick review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you are listening to, if it allows you, because this is just going to make the podcast much more discoverable. And of course, do let your wine loving friends know where to join us. May you all have a very wonderful week filled with positive vibes, happiness, and of course, very tasty wine. Until next week, wine friends, cheers to you.